This is a Federal News Network podcast. Now the Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Hello and thanks for joining us on this Monday, January 30th, 2023. Seven minutes past the hour. I'm Eric White filling in for Tom. Our producer is Peter Masurlian. Our digital editors, Daisy Thornton and Robert O'Shaughnessy. Coming up this hour, the Federal Drive. What economists are saying about the FTC's new ban on non-compete agreements. Plus, FDA is told to tighten up its procedures for IT procurement. Those stories and much more ahead during this hour of the Federal Drive. But first, the Department of Veterans Affairs is more than halfway to meeting its hiring goal for health care workers this fiscal year. The VA is ramping up hiring to handle an uptick in veterans who are seeking care. The PACT Act, meant to treat more veterans exposed to toxic substances, is bringing some new patients into the VA. But the agency is looking to get a better understanding of its data. For an update, we turn to Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Jory, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing mighty fine. And better yet, how is the VA doing on their hiring initiative? Well, they're ahead of schedule and they're doing well with this really massive effort to hire 52,000 healthcare workers by the end of fiscal 2023. At this point, they're making, uh, they're about halfway to that goal. And one thing to make a note of here is that this is not uh, 52,000 plus up from their existing workforce. Some of this is reflecting the rate of attrition and just filling people who are retiring or otherwise leaving the agency. It also just reflects that the VA is dealing with a much higher inflow of patients now under the PACT Act, which is, again, this major legislation that was signed last summer to bring in more veterans into VA care that were exposed to toxic substances during their military service. And so for a better look at this, we heard from VA Undersecretary for Health Sharif Elnahal. He told reporters last week that if the VA does meet its hiring goals here, this would result in a 3% increase in its workforce. And at this point, they have gotten to 1.5% of an increase in its workforce numbers. So here's more from Elnahal on that. And that's in less than half of the year. And so I'm optimistic that we'll hopefully meet that goal. But, you know, challenges are abound with hiring for every single healthcare system. So we're not complacent at all. We're continuing to make the changes we need to make the hiring process faster and better to be able to meet the mission. And does the VA expect to meet its year-end hiring goal or what? It does. At this point, it's more than halfway to that goal. And it's still has uh, about half of the fiscal year to go. So they are on track in that regard. They are cautiously optimistic that they're going to meet this goal. But Elna Hall did say that there are some seasonal ebbs and flows in the number of applicants it gets throughout the year. So progress is not always linear here, but they do expect at this point that they will meet that 52,000 hiring goal for fiscal 2023. If they need all those new workers, they must be expecting a uptick in patients or they've already seen that. How many more patients is the VA actually seeing? Well, the Numbers here are pretty telling. The VA saw 144,000 new healthcare enrollees between August of last year and this January. That is, for some context here, about 21,000 new enrollees above what the VA saw for the year prior. And this is going to keep happening here under the PACT Act. It's expected that the VA will bring in three and a half million additional veterans from what it was already dealing with here. And so when you hear these numbers, you think, wow, you know, 
A leads to B here. The PACT Act is leading to all of these veterans coming in. The VA actually doesn't know if that's the case here, if there's more variables at play. VHA is working with its Office of Information Technology to uh, take a closer look at the data and understand just based by the numbers, who's coming in based on the PACT Act and who's coming in for some other reasons, perhaps. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And what help is the VA getting to build up its workforce? Well, the PACT Act is adding to its workload, but it's also giving the VA more tools to hire. It is uh, giving the VA some added pay and bonus authority for these in-demand healthcare workers. It's just also giving the VA an ability to hire and onboard people more quickly. Uh, that has already been evident with its uh, ability to hire housekeepers, the people who are uh, not not directly involved in the healthcare efforts here, but they are still very much uh, needed at hospitals and VA medical facilities. And they also, let's uh, not forget the fiscal 2023 omnibus that gave the VA a 20% increase in healthcare spending above what it was getting in fiscal 2022. So that is huge help in what the VA is able to do to uh, meet its workforce goals. And it's been all PACT Act, and PACT Act has been the rule of the land at the VA for the last uh, few months, as I'm sure you've seen in all the press releases. Is there other legislation that is in the works for the VA concerning their uh, mission and what they do on a daily basis? Yeah, there actually is some stuff in the works here from Congress uh, on a bipartisan nature here. We saw Senate VA Committee Chairman John Tester, along with a committee member John Bozeman, introduced the VA Careers Act recently. This would allow the VA to set higher pay caps for certain VA doctors, optometrists, podiatrists, and some other positions there as well. What's interesting about this is that this would raise a cap of $400,000 for some specialized doctors. And what's significant about that is for the vast majority of federal employees, $400,000 is the absolute highest you can go. It's what the president currently makes as far as the salary, and that's uh, that's why it's sealing out at $400,000. Elm Hall said that he does support this part of this pending legislation here. He says that this is a, a big legislative ask for VA. He says that the PACT Act does give the VA the tools it needs to meet its workforce goals, but this VA Careers Act would be another welcome addition to its tool set. We believe that uh, exceptions need to be put in place for these critical high-paid, high-skilled jobs. Ultimately, if we have more providers to be able to meet the need for veterans, that will improve access. It will also allow us to prepare for the PACT Act. And it is the case that we just simply cannot compete for physicians of particular specialties because of that current cap. Got it. And as far as infrastructure goes, you're going to need a place for all these new workers to, well, work. What are the VA's infrastructure plans for the near future? Well, not to sound like uh, a broken record here, but the PACT Act is very helpful in this regard as well. It's a big document. It's a big piece of legislation. And one other thing that it does here is that it gives the VA uh, some extra leased space for healthcare facilities. 31 of those, in fact, and those are still pending. The VA has to work with the General Services Administration in its capacity as the landlord for the federal government to finalize those leases and expand out the space where it can handle this influx of new patients. And going forward, this is more of a long-term thing, but the VA is still puzzling out this new uh, infrastructure 2.0 type 
plan for what its network of healthcare facilities is going to look like across the country. It's 2.0 because the earlier effort last year, the Asset and Infrastructure Review or Air Commission, didn't go forward as planned. That was going to be a very long and involved process where the VA had submitted a plan to include some new construction as well as demolish some old run-down VA facilities. And that got a lot of pushback, that last part of it, the closure side of things. And so senators did say no to the Air Commission. They they blocked that at every step of the way. And so what the VA is doing now, it's going back to the drawing board. It's updating its data in terms of what its healthcare needs look like for veterans across the country. And what Elna Hall really, really stressed here is that this future plan, once we get a look at it, it's going to focus on building new facilities. It's going to focus on new construction before the VA ever looks at closing or demolishing the facilities it currently has. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman giving us all the goings on at Veterans Affairs. Jory, thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and on obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like look at, look at Terrell, like he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them 
you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. 
And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and 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 celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And and uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes. And playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it. Check us out. At, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.